Off the ball. The last battle in the Ronaldo-Messi war mm. was that World Cup and uh, Ronaldo lost it and then, then he ended up at like an Al Nasser. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Just a slight tangent on, on that. <laughs> this, was a, this is far too much of a tangent. Just a brief interruption. Can I also say one more thing on this? But uh, we also need to impose some rules. Like, we can't just have 20 minute tangents over a text. Come on. This is refusal to consider the circumstances. I'm not going to entertain that, Joe. This conversation is not a good one, I think. Do we argue much? No. We keep them inside. There's Fester. (laughs) (laughs) See, I thought this was a ridiculous text until I read the top three, and then I thought, you know what? I'd actually debate that with you. (laughs) It is an interesting. Sorry, it's not an interesting question, but. uh, (laughs) Let's make that clear. (laughs) I love the sound of a snooker referee counting up the score. Welcome along. A slight tangent is here once again. Three weeks in a row, the three-peat. My goodness. We have to my left, Michael McCarthy. Hello. Hello, Joe. Happy three-peat. And lads. Arthur O'Dea, hello to you. Hi, Joe. And Willow Callahan, welcome along. Well, welcome back. You were in a legal course all day? I was, and I was glued to my phone during the entire time. I'm sure the people who gave the course won't be entirely happy. They looked down and I was on my phone, but I was like, wait, wait what? The PGA Tour and Live Golf are now yes. coming together. And I was like, I better keep an eye on this. This is where you do a course so that when you're on air, you can say, ah, no, we can't say that. I'd be a very bad student if four hours after the course, I wasn't uh, taking all of the advice on like a sponge. I always thought those things were very interesting because like sport is an interesting area. It's a grey area, it seems, because of the idea of commentary and fair comments that you can make that maybe in news you wouldn't do. Yeah, fair comment is one of the great defences in uh, defamation. But like, again, and we touched on it last week with Dave Fitzgerald. If you go on air and say, that manager's completely incompetent, he's a joke, and I think he should get the sack. Which we didn't say about David Fitzgerald's for anybody listening. For anybody only thinking this is... That's Joe Malloy said he we was didn't an say that. disgrace. Yeah. If anything, we expressed our queasiness at that kind yeah. of uh, commentary. Yes, exactly. But uh, sport is in that weird sphere where, you know, I, 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 to be fair, you'd probably, you, you, you could say that about public figures. You could say that about a politician. So maybe if you're getting into the realm of CEOs of private companies, you'd have to really back up the incompetence line. Yeah. You couldn't just go on and say, Willow Callahan's incompetent. He should get the bullet. I'm sure you could give many reasons for that, Joe. But yeah, you couldn't just say it without justification or being able to say, yeah. here is my proof for this assertion that I'm about to make. But it's commonplace in sports commentary. Yeah. And no one takes action. No one sues. There's never been a GA manager who sued because... It'd be a bizarre case if someone harsh. turned around at some point and said, you know... Sam Allardyce did a horrific job with Leeds over the last few weeks and Big Sam yeah. is going to the High Court to claim that you were unfair to say he did a bad job. Terrible, terrible manager. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> There you go. But I suppose, Joe, you would argue in that case that the results were poor and that there was no kick from Leeds and yeah. you'd make that argument in a way that you probably can't do in what we would call, air quotes, hard news. That's true. It'd be fair comment, I think. So we just spoke to Lawrence Donegan there about the Live Golf PGA Tour merger. One of just... Not a merger. Spectacles in uh, sport. So Lawrence uh, reckons that next year there will be no live tour. Yeah. That the Saudis have just decided it's a pain in the backside to actually run a golf tour. We'll just basically buy a big old stake in the PGA Tour and sponsor it and be involved in golf that way. And that's the way it's going to be. Sort of feels like they could have done that first. Yeah. I think they did approach the PGA Tour and were told, no, we're not doing business with you. Um, but now things have changed and the PGA Tour is running out of cash by the week <laughs> trying to compete with the arms race 
uh, that Liv has provided. So I think uh, both sides are happy enough to put down their swords. Do we know much about, this is an open-ended question that I presume we don't know the answer to, it's more rhetorical. Like, do we know what inve- like return on investment the Saudi investment fund is getting? Because it does, like we, we call sports washing, washing all the time, it's like, what good is it to them to own like a significant stake in the PGA Tour now. I just, I'm just wondering what, like, it is seen as at least nominally investment. Mm. And I just wonder what they're like. You know, surely just like you know, giving Phil Mickelson all the money in the world doesn't seem like you will ever get a return on that investment, no matter what you do. Outside of, you know, be it sports washing or be it as you call it, not sports washing, yeah. but power flex, power grab, power flex. Yeah, exactly. You no, know, but point. the sa- same thing now in like in like the. You know, Messi and Ronaldo and Kante, as Richie mentioned earlier, which I hadn't even heard, and what they're trying to do with football. Like, when is that ever going to repay itself? I don't understand where the the value is going to be for them. It's not, I think, is the short version. Yeah. I don't think live golf was ever going to be a viable model. But if the argument is that you want to have control over the game of golf, you've come and take the whole house when you've got the three major golf tours all under the one umbrella, with you as the main investor behind it all. Mm. Like in many ways, you're an agitator at the start, but now you come in and take everything away at the end. I wonder, would this have been possible if the schism in golf hadn't happened though? Would the PGA Tour have taken this investment from the private investment fund if golf hadn't shattered a couple of years ago? Uh, I don't think so. Because I think- Then then no matter how much money you spent on live, the bigger objective was obtained. Yeah, I don't know if they were always working towards this situation or not. This beats having your own tour though. You now own the PGA Tour effectively. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't have a sense yet as to whether or not they own it or not, but certainly they're the chief investor in this new company. The PGA Tour will have a majority on the board, mm. but again, I don't not know the, chairman. the reality of how that board will work. I mean, I'm just fascinated to see uh, Roy McIlroy's comments in particular. I mean, he's basically spent 18 months banging the pulpit to say this should not happen. This is wrong. <laughs> you know. It'd be funny if he called it a day, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's uh, me. <laughs> is there any chance this. he softens his position and says it's better to have everyone back together than what was happening? Oh, I think he'll, oh, have, he'll have to come up with something, yeah. won't he? But it's how he actually <laughs> feels about it. I think is Fighting the more intriguing thing, like because, like. It's funny because where do you stand on a human level here? Because in one way, he did the right thing, but he was beaten by a power greater, you know, and the the big bad wolf won in the end, you know. And it's like that's going to be portrayed as humiliating for him. And Phil Mickelson, you mentioned his kind of like arrogant tweets that he was sending, you know, about McElroy. Like that's only going to go tenfold now. Yeah. So he'll be portrayed as the loser. But I don't know. I feel like he's kept his dignity all along, and I think. I think history will be favourable to him, I would imagine. You would think so. Jay Monaghan, the PGA Tour Commissioner, I mean, last year he was, I would say, leveraging 9-11, I think it's fair to say. When he was doing interviews and he was uh, speaking about the Live Tour and he said, I have two families that are close to me that lost loved ones. My heart goes out to them. And I would ask any player who has left for Live or that would ever consider leaving, have you ever had to apologise for being a member of the PGA Tour? And now fast forward a year. So I don't think when he was saying those things, he thought he'd be in this position. Certainly not this quickly. It's like an unbelievably humiliating climb down. Yeah. Although, like Lawrence is portraying him almost in some way as the winner, like, you know, here. And it is funny how, like, I mean, look at look at Trump and look at, like, everything that's happened since Trump. And it's far from just that. Like, there's no consequences for words or for yeah. statements or promises or anything like that. There's no such thing as humiliation if you refuse to be humiliated. Mm. And... 
you know, the, the, he, he will just, he will make that comment. It'll be like as if it never happened now. It's irrelevant because it'll take his 15 million a year and he'll claim this is a great victory and he did it all for the best of golf and golf will come together as one and take over the world, you know, along with the Saudis. Mm. Yeah. I do now wonder if the reason McElroy at the PGA a couple of weeks ago refused to take questions on Liv was very much because... He knew he this was in the, the heads works. up Because Jimmy Dunn is named as one of the people who brokered the deal on the PGA Tour board. I mean, weirdly, again, he's a, an interesting case. You should, there's a piece Paul Kimmage did with him last year because Paul Kimmage noted that Jimmy Dunn and Roy McIlroy were very tight. They were playing in pro-amps together and Dunn has an amazing story. Like his business partner friend was killed in 9-11 and Dunn resolved to build up the business and paid for the education of uh, children who had lost parents. In 9-11, the company he worked for at the time uh, was uh, one of the World Trade Center uh, buildings. And so he's paid for the education of any family who lost parent and here he is negotiating this deal. Like it's all very confusing. There are climb downs all over the place of sorts. But um, if him and McElroy are very close, you've got to think somewhere, someone, be it Jay Monaghan or Jimmy Dunn or someone said, Rory, just for your own sake, I just would put cool the jets on the whole. We must crush live talk because. Yeah, like the 9-11 thing, though, like was very much brought on by Monaghan. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if too many people like even made the connection. Like I mean, Saudi, more so, Saudi more Arabia, so Arabia is like yeah. you know isn't wasn't even involved in nine eleven. No, know it's what true. I, mean? like I, I wouldn't think Saudi. Be, I wouldn't hear nine eleven and think Saudi. No, exactly. Well, they weren't involved. Like there was a Saudi at the uh, a Saudi you know uh, person at the you know the organizer or whatever you want to call it. Of is it. this but because it, the Bush regime was convinced everyone so well that it was Iraq that were involved as opposed to the Saudi Arabians who were on the plane? Well, it was, but it wasn't Saudi Arabia. It was... Well, it was funded by, you know, a Saudi yeah. Arabian in Bin Laden. Anyway, look, well. we won't get into that. Sorry. My, my point was, though, that it doesn't not... Jimmy Dunn's not necessarily making that connection no, in the way sure. that Monaghan was. Sorry. So without getting into an ins and outs of exactly what happened in 9-11, I think that's an important note, is that, they, as you said, you wouldn't necessarily automatically associate yeah. Saudi Arabia with 9-11. Aside from McElroy getting maybe a bit of a heads up, do we reckon some of the players found out when they picked up their phone yeah. morning they're, time in the USA? They're all about, tweeting about what it. What the hell is this? They're all livid, yeah. Morikawa. This is a major winner in the last 18 months. I love finding out morning news on Twitter. Uh, Wesley Bryan, who's a more rank and file PGA Tour member. I love finding out this info on Twitter. This is amazing. You all should be ashamed. I have a lot of questions. Uh, you have a lot of questions to answer. I feel betrayed. Won't be able to trust anyone within the corporate structure of the PGA Tour for a very long time. Mackenzie Hughes, people, if you follow golf, you know Mackenzie Hughes. Nothing like finding out through Twitter that we're merging with a tour that we said we would never do that with. Mm. So they're all, they, got, they got an email this morning to tell them that this seismic thing was happening is the gist. Probably around the same time we all got the email from the three tours to announce it as well. Well, apparently Greg Norman got a phone call a minute before. It's a lot of good, isn't it? So that would suggest he wasn't at the centre of this situation. I so, thought Greg um, was Liv's main man. He should have been... I think they ousted him there last year when it all went a little bit haywire. Even they realised there's a bit, the stink, greatest PR. bit of a stink about this guy. <laughs> Even if we're not trying to sports wash, this isn't helping. <laughs> Greg, we don't need you to throw cans to fans anymore. Yeah. So to wrap it up, Lawrence Donegan's sense, and you can listen to that full piece as well, I'm sure it's um, alongside this video or alongside this podcast, is that next year the Live Tour will just be wrapped up. Nobody was watching it anyway. And that will be watching the, I don't know, Aramco... PIF PGA tour with Phil Mickelson and all the boys coming back with their signing on fees 
up to 200 million dollars each yeah and saying hi to will zalatoris who turned down 100 million and saying well look we're all at the same we're all yeah. in the same place anyway but i'm intrigued as to where golf goes from here right so take saudi and live and everything out of it right you can't yeah. put toothpaste back in a tube like this is the expected money now so they have whatever way these contracts will transfer or whatever like the next time it's coming up rory mcelroy or you know john ram is going to be like here do you know i mean this is the kind of prize money we expect now why am i you know competing against these guys who are earning much much more than me and i'm on mm. you know i'm as big a draw to the what is now the pga tour or whatever it's going to be called as anybody else i think that we're going to a place where we're going to be in absolutely untenable unsustainable prize money maybe it will be back to rather than guaranteed money or whatever mm. and golf could end up eating itself you know, there, there just might not be enough money for what the top players are going to expect because this lunacy of the last 12 months is just going to come back to bite them, you know? Yeah, again, I don't know how it all works. Do the PIF say we'll cover prize money? I don't know. Like, you have to assume they're that, still there, yeah. that Brooks Kepka and, you know, those who got the really big first yeah. contracts, the early adopters, I would call them, of the tour, would presumably still keep their contract at that level oh, for yeah. as long as they're signed. A contract of a contract, yeah. yeah. It this was, I mean, like, be, uh, they were once-off payments mm-hmm. up front. Here's so 100 million. already got it. Yeah. Still in his account. Thanks a lot. Oh, yeah, it's in, my, like, it's in my account. You're not getting it back. So the, like, the players who turn down big money, like not that he needs money, Tiger Woods turned down three quarters of a billion. He might regret that slightly now. <sighs> I would think so, you know. Like I said, Will Zalatoris, who's having back surgery at the moment and may not play golf again, turned down 100 million. Mm. So, yeah, Phil walks back in with 200 million. I, I don't think, I don't agree. I don't think that, though. I don't think they'll regret it. I don't think if you wanted to do it, you weren't doing it because you thought you were going to get 100 million elsewhere. It was the understanding that they weren't taking the money for a reason. And I appreciate because they've been sold out doesn't mean they've sold out, if you know what I mean. I just, I don't get the sense most of those golfers turned down the money because they had ethical issues with Saudi Arabia. They turned down the money because they thought the Live Tour was a joke. There were no ranking points. They'd be left out in the cold. They might not be in majors. Yeah. And the PGA Tour was like still the best tour. Like yeah. very, very, very few of them ever mentioned. Oh, ethically, I felt I didn't like where the money was coming from. McElroy said that once, but only once. The rest of them never said that. Often, if you heard them talk, they would say things like, golf should be 72 holes. Like weirdly, they yeah, seem okay. to have more of an issue with fifty-four hole, fifty-four holes than like journalists being murdered by this regime. Maybe they are angry then. <laughs> so they are somewhat bitter. Oh, I say they're pee. Oh, because every yeah, uh, the, the reason they did was they're hedging their bets that these guys might not make it. Yeah. out there in the big bad world, and not only did they make it, but they're back with them and with the hundred million quid in their pocket. Like. Yeah, I, like I couldn't emphasize that enough. Listen to the golfers week in week out. The sports washing ethical aspect that was like a thing for a week or two yeah poor G-Mac was uh, well poor G-Mac it's his own fault but yeah. he was he was front and centre yeah. and nobody else ever had to answer a question about it Justin Johnson was beside him in the press conference going <laughs> <laughs> you, keep, you keep talking G-Mac politics no thank you will so. there be changes to the tour now I know we're like in totally inspection I'd, I'd say so yeah I'd say there'll be more of an off season and yeah. there'll be more like marquee events and then more kind of uh, dud events maybe fewer events across the year but I, I don't know I don't know I someone don't know. was actually I think someone texted that in to us Joran Lawrence what presumably when those players left the PGA Tour other yeah. players come in and fill their space yeah so now do those guys just kind of get bumped back down presumably there's going to be an awful lot of pro golfers kind of no they might just pick and choose the five or six big names from Liv All we'll right. take Brooks Bryson Patrick Reed, Phil Cam Smith the rest of you 
you get to play on the DP World Tour. <laughs> Chat you later. It's over in Europe and also all around the world. Um, There's like five events a year in Europe, yeah. Will we push on? We shall. Go on. Uh, so that's very much the news of the day. Uh, championship uh, GA style of play. Loads of emails in this. People aren't impressed with the football that they're watching is the gist. For instance, good evening, fellas. I had the debate with a friend over a pint about the current GA football season. We couldn't put a finger on the reason it has failed to capture our attention for a sustained amount of time. The skill levels undoubtedly are on the rise and the standards of fitness and commitment by intercounty players has probably never been higher. It would seem contradictory that this would lead to less excitement around the championship. Format aside, and there are issues with the format, I think we can agree. I feel there is no room for individualism in football anymore. And outside of Clifford, in brackets, generational talent, there are no superstars in the sport. Guys like Khan, Shane Walsh, Damien Comer, I feel would have bigger profiles in the sport 10 or 20 years ago. I feel every year there's less and less room, or sorry, excuse me, there is less and less reason to tune into GA football games. Let me know your thoughts. I stuck up a tweet about this on Sunday. It was watching the Sunday game and you couldn't help but be struck by the reasonably empty stadiums that were there across the weekend. Are you taking June bank holiday as a big part of the You take reason? it into account somewhat, yeah, but I mean, this was consistent enough with the first round didn't exactly ignite and people were saying that people were kind of waiting for round two and round three despite the newness of all this. And three main reasons came back from people who responded to the tweet that I stuck up. I would say the overwhelming reason was people are not enjoying the style of football that's being played at the moment. The second was that 25 quid is quite steep when you know that you'd have to go into your team three times, once at neutral venue, once away, and maybe you might go to the home game. And then people were also taking into account the format means that yeah, there's no sense of jeopardy whatsoever. I know John Fogarty's writing about this in the Irish Examiner today that there's a very good chance the team will go through without a win to the knockout stages of the All-Ireland There are Sligo period. most likely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, there's two aspects. The format, I just, it doesn't work for me. I, like, I really don't like it. So, like, the headline news is 15 of the 16 teams are still alive. And I guess... <laughs> That's because 12 got through. In theory, they are. But, I mean... For Loud to still be alive, they need to be carried a neutral venue in Group 1. In Group 2, Westmead, technically still alive, they have to be Tyrone. Kildare Sligo most likely will both lose their next match. So one of them will go Score through difference will probably with difference, yeah. one point from three games. So a draw and then two defeats. And in Group 4, Clare out. There's no competition really for like top two. So Derry and Monaghan on three points, Donegal on two points. If that had been just two teams progressed, then we'd have Donegal versus Monaghan this weekend in what would be like a knockout game. And I, like, I understand the argument that letting so many through ensures that the quarterfinal lineup will be stacked. But I just feel with football, I've been living in this state of delayed gratification all year. Like, I just want something now. It's June. Yeah. I want a bit of fun. I want a shock. I want a knockout game. I want everything on the line. I've eaten all my vegetables first. I'm still not at the good part. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just the. It's a, it's a tweak. It's not like revolution. I just think it's very obvious they have to try two teams only qualify like uh, next year. That just has to be tried. We're seeing it in crowds. We're seeing it in the intensity of the games. We're seeing it in the conversations we're having week to week. Kerry going to Porky Cueve is not this life or death kind of fixture. It should be. This is the least punitive group stages in world sport. Joe, three group games are more than enough for anyone to not complain about not getting enough championship games in one summer. And that's not including playing with the provincials on top of that too. So I think if you have three games and you have to be in the top two, that's enough to justify that you got a fair crack. Yeah, you might lose one big team. 
But like that, good. Yeah. yeah. That, like I, I, you need a bit of juice now, surely. Like there's no oxygen in this championship. Absolutely not. And myself and Will were having this argument with Jer on Friday and, and, and Jer was saying like, you know, that it'll be all worth it at the end basically. You know, we'll have these good matches. But, you know, I think we need something along the way. We can't be just waiting for a tournament to start. We can't be having this prolonged pre-season, basically. And another thing, um, someone wrote this in the paper today, I think it might have been Dennis Walsh, sorry if I've got it wrong, but about like the lack of relegation being an issue as well. You know, we talk about, you can have, you can have, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Danger. Uh, Jeopardy. Jeopardy. You can have Jeopardy both ways, you know, and look at the, like the Leinster Hurling Championship was terrible this year, but it probably had the best last day of anything because you had those two matches where everything was on the line yeah. for Wexford and for uh, Westmead and Antrim. Uh, you know, so so like that's, it, it all, the original sin was the cop-out. Yeah. The original sin was that they didn't go for Proposal B, they wanted to keep the provincial championships relevant, they wanted to give everybody a chance to get in and not everybody needs to have the chance, you know? And they've been so burned by the Super 8s and like Dublin, John Fogarty made the point in 18 and 19, they won their first two matches, they were pretty much through, so they played second string sides against Roscommon and Tyrone. And they've been so burned by that, that they've over corrected. So what you have now is a championship that is a championship that is like linked to the provincial championships and linked to the league. Yeah. But and and where it just sort of happens and then like we five weeks, three rounds uh, played over four weekends over five ti- five weekends in real time in the middle of the summer where it's all kind of a bit pointless and Clare and like either Kildare or Sligo Louth and Westmead who nobody know everybody knows none of those teams can win the All-Ireland yeah. will get knocked out and then we start for real like, like pro- it's pre-season I know the provincial championships are a necessary evil it'll take time to get rid of them they're winding down as we speak but like for us to sacrifice the group stages on top of that it's too much real estate of what is a tight season. Like too much of the season now is delayed gratification. It perpetuates the system as well, Joe, where if you finish in the top eight in the country with your league finish, you're almost certainly into at least a preliminary quarterfinal in the championship because you can fail in the provincials but still be well seeded for and, the championship. And I, I don't think like the toll of, oh, you've to play in a preliminary quarterfinal. Like, I, I just don't think the majority of us watching round three will be that bothered either way. Like, will fans be, like, swinging from the rafters because, like, oh, yes, we've avoided a preliminary quarterfinal. Like, it's not enough of a, no. a win. You're making, I would say, like, a disapproving face at me for the last five No, it's not. Well, I don't... I do think, lastly, teams will want... They'd rather finish top than second or third. It just means you'd have a less week to have to play. Like, you know, like, Kerry are probably in a situation where they're playing non-stop now. Yeah through if they get when and how far they get is that compelling enough for you to be tuning into well it's not that like my kind of point with this is and it all kind of comes back to the same thing is that there's not there's the reality here and there's an ideal that isn't reflective of any reality I don't think there's ever been a time when people are captivated by every element of the football championship I'm not captivated by any element of it right now but you will be you will be from the quarterfinals (laughs) on and there'll be three weekends and there'll be no but there'll be three weekends and there'll be blockbuster that much we can guarantee. We like as much as we possibly can know anything. We know the quarterfinals are hit and miss, and I don't know if there's a, if there's that many better teams going to be in it than we're coming through the qualifiers. But then, if you knock it down to two teams instead of three, that'll make no difference. It's inevitably what we're getting. We're getting to the same thing just with an extra round of games. So yeah. if you knock off, so it makes no difference. Then there's only saying. ten good teams or whatever. So there isn't like the fact of the matter is there just aren't that many good teams in the football championship, or certainly there aren't enough teams of a similar level. Yeah. So like need a super league. I don't mm. think it's going to make any blind bit of difference. Okay, that's. And good I, point. I just don't think there's anything. It's never been the case where it's going <coughs> to all go, and it's been brilliant, 
and it's like every game is class and everything most games like for most of the football championship most games have been absolutely pointless yeah we're, mm. we're de- definitely where I do have sympathy is like uh, the lack of depth uh, for sure one and also like you just can't bank on certain teams to show up like Donegal this year woeful couple of years ago like a really juicy prospect in a quarter final for instance so like the to and throwing of teams is a bit of an issue as well when you're trying to map out a a format which will serve because the depth comes and goes a touch the only thing though Arthur is championship is built on and I I am in no way saying let's go back to all knockout and you know <laughs> there's no way that, but it is what 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 the championship was built on was knockout football and hurling right and that was and and any change from that I think what you can't have is games that mean nothing because that's not what the sport is built on. And no. maybe we'll adapt in time and, and maybe look, we're being short-sighted and this will all develop into something and it'll find its way and it'll be all great in five years, right? Maybe. But I just think that, like, I remember being absolutely sickened in, when they had the Super 8s and Common played Cork in, like, the last round and both of them were already out. And it was like, I was there thinking, I was like, this must be the first game in GEA Championship history yeah. in either sport that means nothing. Mm-hmm. That there's no winner or loser to. And we can't keep having that. No, like, and, I agree. And, and what we've done is a system that's created even more of that because yeah. everybody's true. So maybe we won't always have the great games, but surely we should have a thing where if you lose, you're in serious trouble. Maybe you don't need to be out. But Kerry losing to Mayo should have meant that Cork was basically knockout for them. And if they lost if they lost on on Saturday, it still would have been fine. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <sighs> Look, there's all sorts of in-between bits you could sort out with that why thing, but like, why then should they have a match against such a high opposition at that point of the championship, whereas in the case of, say, Dublin are playing Roscommon, Kildare and Sligo? Why, you know what I mean? Like, So there are peculiarities that I appreciate, but you, back to your but point, it, it you can't predict where different teams no, will be can't. in a different cycle. And like, don't all sports from World Cup football down... It draws. Don't they thrive on the group of death? The one that like it's not necessarily fair, but it's not like it's Kerry getting screwed every year. It's just this was the nature of the draw. And look <coughs> at this little group that we've cooked up and everyone gets very excited about it for that year. It's not like Kerry and Mayo would be condemned every year to be in that group of death. No, but like, I, it, you know, it, it's an aspect of a given year, which which adds a certain something to it. You know, I'm all for any system that stops the same usual teams winning. But I don't think this will do that anyway. Like, I, I still think we're going to be in the same place come the end of the year, which is kind of disheartening in its own way. Probably. Now, maybe maybe they drop off, but this system won't be the reason for that, why there'll be any change in it. It does just seem to give Kerry, Dublin, et al, more time yeah, to, to get correct anything wrong. Yeah. And that's grim. That's really grim. Mm. At the same time, we're in a football championship that we should be excited about. It's the first time that I can remember that I we, we would honestly say, w- would anyone in this room be shocked if Dublin, Kerry, Mayo, Galway, Derry, and you might even throw Tyrone in there, wouldn't won the All-Ireland? Do you know what's really you weird? You wouldn't be shocked. Any of them could yeah. win it. Do you know you what's know? weird about that then? It's like a great team is not going to win the All-Ireland this year. Yeah, I'm not as kind of invested in it because of it. Touch whoever wins the All Ireland of those know. now, I'll, I'll I'll sort of be sitting there saying, yeah, they're, they're a real downgrade on what we've seen for the last decade. It beats us, Joe, having probably the greatest team of all time with Dublin winning year after year. After yeah, but year. I prefer yeah, every competition to, has to be its own thing. But yeah, to be fair, du- Dublin winning year after year after year doesn't tell the truth of Dublin being pushed to the pin of their collars and replays and winning by a point. Like they were epics. That's and right. then I felt this great sense of, and I would have been like more, I would have had a leaning towards Mayo for family reasons. 
But even after those games, I would have had this great sense of, well, like, wow, but like what champions we have and what an epic way to win it. Whereas I think now, whoever wins it, I'll be sitting there saying, Flawed. Flawed. I don't know when it gets no, to us. You yeah, can't have the Dublin. I think Kerry Galway last year. Through Leinster. The same Dublin teams that didn't have a competitive game until the All Ireland semi final. Yeah. Like, that's not. That's not but it. But they're a great team winning the All Ireland as opposed well, to a flawed team winning the All Ireland. But what, like, what, like if Mayo went on to win, say they, they beat yeah. Cork next weekend and progress on, win a quarter final, semi final final. Yeah. Like, what else could you possibly ask them to do? Oh, nothing. It's not against them. But I would just have the sense of it's it, it's not as valuable in All Ireland as if you'd beaten Dublin. Because you played three more years. games. Dublin ah, from yeah. three years ago. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. You can't be that's saying I feel. you're just winding up. Ireland I'm not winding up. <laughs> beating Dublin four years ago is a more valuable All Ireland than the 2023 Sure, version. they didn't beat them four years ago, so they can only beat them. Yeah. I know, yeah. So, like, there's a degree of, oh, you've, you know, you've swooped in. What if Dublin win it? You yes. know, if Dublin kind of come back mean? from being written off might and go and win on, might on their the, favourites. Might depend on the nature of their performance. Were yeah. Kerry not very good champions last year? Beat Dublin in Epic by a point, won a very entertaining All-Ireland final. Yeah, I, could, I lived with that, yeah. And like, <laughs> I lived with I David Clifford crowned. And Clifford. Yeah. Like Cl- yeah. Clifford sort of yeah, no. brought them to a certain aura of greatness. He could do that again. He could he do, do it on again. his own this year, I'll tell you, from what I saw on Saturday. But anyway, that's another story for another day. We haven't addressed one point that the actual email yeah, said, which was about the style of football and players not being allowed to express themselves. We'll have to take a break. Okay. We've gone off on a tangent there. <laughs> we went more into format. Uh, we'll take a short break. We'll come back to that email and actually answer it in just one second. Back in uh, one minute, we have myself, Mick, Arthur, Will. This is a slight tangent. You're welcome, Max. So this is a slight tangent. Will to my right, Michael and Arthur to my left. So we never addressed our emailer's point about individualism in GA being sucked out of it, squeezed out of it by the prevalence of coaching and teams being very organised. And, you know, the likes of Shane Walsh and Khan and various others would be much bigger stars and, and more free to express themselves if they played 20, 30 years ago. Clifford being almost the exception that proves the rule. Do we have a general agreement on that or disagreement? You're shaking your head, Arthur. Arthur's what a stars naysayer. From, what stars from 20 years ago? What stars from 20 yeah. years ago? What do you mean? Who were the stars 20 years ago uh, that were different from thing now? Morris Fitzgerald. Gooch. Mickey Linden. 20 years ago? That's 30 years ago. <laughs> Mickey Linden. It's 2003. <laughs> I don't know what year it is. Uh, Gooch, I guess. Peter Canavan. Peter Canavan. Conor McDonald. Or Kieran McDonald, even. Yeah. Kieran McDonald for sure. Steve McDonald, Peter Canavan. Famously, Porrick Joyce. Media shy, Kieran McDonald. <laughs> like, oh, he means superstar in terms of like their in, imprint on a game. But, but they are. Shane Walsh is a superstar. He won one of the best All Ireland finals months ago. Take away that All Ireland final. What else he done? What do you mean? What else he done? The other All Ireland final he won. Shane Walsh club. Yeah, yeah, but like, oh, right. I don't think you can like Shane Walsh did it, like had a great season, but like, is he not stifled for much of his career? But that's not what he's necessarily saying. Yeah. Like he's he's not he's saying about them being stars, and these oh, guys are stars. And I know, like, not necessarily. Say from, um, I'd be more familiar with. No, he's, sorry, I'll just clarify. Format aside, he said, I feel there is no room for individualism in football anymore outside of Clifford. So I think what he's talking about there is the reason Shane Walsh caught the imagination in that All Ireland final is almost because he went a touch off script in comparison with how footballers in the main have to play. Like Walsh just felt really good. He had been him as man. He took on shots that I think, Not having that for you know, a I think in video analysis afterwards, I think week to week coaches would really stifle so that the, from a the bunch biggest of day of his career. And he decides to go off grid. Forget everything else that's he, happened to he, got him there. He was in the zone. 
He was in the zone. I'm not, I'm not having that. But I, I don't think you but could I'm plan saying, No, but it's not that Park Joyce was stopping him doing it. It was yeah. just that that's not best practice almost, you know? That's what I mean. Like, I don't think you could plan for... Like, I don't think the plan could be, here, Shane, you go out and have the game of your life and we'll just work around you. I just think the game took on that tone and the more Walsh got into it and felt it, they just sort of went with it. And it was great. But I'd say that the reason we remember that so vividly is that's probably not as much the norm as it used to be. Teams are playing more to a plan. I like, don't know, Joe. I mean, teams I can have a great plan. Look at how good Dublin's plan was. And that was largely why they were such a good team across that decade. And yet, Jim McConnelly and Conor Callan and individualists could still work within ah, the system. Yeah, they could. And they they could, are, like sir. they. Yes, but could they... Yeah, I suppose maybe it's like de- it was designated that Dear McConnelly was our X Factor guy. But like, I mean, Bernard Brogan, I said, uh, well, not, is it? Yeah, it's not so like Colin Cooper again or whoever. Like, if we want to say Marcus Gerald was going and just doing his own thing, it was it was allowed that this guy has something, has an X Factor. We'll play it to that. We'll play it to his strengths. I don't think so. I think players played in the old days, and now I think they play a system, and I think that's fine to an L, to a degree. I just think it's getting more. Obviously, it's it's gradual. It's not something that happened one day. But I'll, I'll give you an example, Bernard. Brogan, I remember sitting in the Hogan stand up near the hill on the day Dublin played Cork in the 2010 semi-final and he was kicking points from under the stands on both sides it was just unbelievable and like he won Football of the Year that year when Dublin lost that match like in the semi-final and as Bernard's career went on he did less and less of that because Dublin, as we know, famously were like scoring zone yeah. freaks. You know, there was a kind of a, there was low percentage, high percentage, and that's the way they played it. And look, they won six All-Irelands in a row and they won eight or nine overall. You know, so they had I, loads of success yeah. from it. But I think it took some of the enjoyment out I, of it I for sure. I sort of tend to agree that the scoring zones has infiltrated its way into GA, And so you see fewer spectacular points because players are less inclined to take on a spectacular Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Like it's not, like you see more spectacular points now because the skill level's way beyond what it was. Players are more able to do different things. It's like that thing you were saying earlier about David Clifford. And the emailer does say skill sets are higher than ever. Like I think we're seeing things that we just never have seen before. And it's kind of, it's, it's, it's like I appreciate that there is that sort of nostalgia around these sort of mesmeric, figures who did all these amazing things and we, we we can see the singular points in our mind or four or five points from a, a highlight reel of their whole career yeah but like that's not the reflective of a whole career the fact of the matter is that's not the day-to-day that's not how they played every single game and it's not how it's not how they impacted every single game i don't think there's anything that's necessarily wrong by the fact that say with jeremy Connolly, if we take him and he's within a, a system that in you could read it in one way that it's certainly it might stifle him somewhat. Yeah. But in the other way it also provides him with a balance to do things within a system. Within yeah. a system. But that do you, he not, can do you do not think there was more freedom 20, 30 years ago? Well, I mean there probably was because the, the level everything has more intense yeah. now than it was. But I think but, it's but a good didn't thing. probably have a less sophisticated game plan. Like like there was a degree of go out and, and take your shot on if you feel it, whereas now there's scoring zones. So I think No for sure but it has been curbed a touch that it that individual flair. I don't think that's the reason by the way that we're not enjoying football at the moment. I think that's a bigger issue in terms of the systems. And There is a good point for uh, you, which is where things do become a bit more risk adverse. When you look back at some of the classic games from 20, 25 years ago, people would play a 50-50 pass in and we didn't groan as much yes. if there was a mistake. Oh, there's but no respect. Now, this is what I was going to say, actually, regardless of your point about maybe players having more or less freedom, right? Okay, I mean, that's arguable. There's a lot less variation in the game. 
So I'm thinking of, you know, I'm thinking of that ball into Mulligan that he lays off to Canavan. Canavan reads it, runs the loop, like one of the greatest goals ever scored in an All Ireland final. Would that happen now? Because Mulligan's not guaranteed to win that ball. Now, there are balls in, I don't know, like it's just, it's, you know. You know I, I can see an argument that it is there, but yeah. I just I feel like we see it a lot less. Do you know what's funny? This is slightly tangential, but it's amazing that like I'm I'm sort of watching the likes of Mayo Loud, and which I found particularly hard going, and then on the highlights, Claire Monaghan was this amazingly open game, but I found myself kind of going, ah, there's too much space here. This is daft. Like this is naive. And I, you know, you hark back to the GA matches that we would have loved in our youth. Like I, I couldn't go back to them now either because the lack of respect for possession, I just well, they look I, weird. I would find infuriating. So it's this weird thing where I'm watching teams recycle possession endlessly. Yeah. And yet, if you offered to go back twenty years, I think I would find <laughs> just the the oh, yeah. profligate nature of how they all uh, played. I, I, I couldn't go back to that either. So I'm actually just caught in a weird limbo. Well, surely, like it's not. I don't know. I I think I know more than I know. We were talking about that Dennis Walsh piece about Hurling's golden age. Yeah, like, he says we're in the golden age. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like maybe it, everything doesn't have to be parallel in the two sports all the time. But I don't think you can ever. I don't. I suspect there has never been such a widespread caliber of player as there is in Gaelic football now. 100%. There's no way that there's like that's the quality is as high as it's ever been. But look, and, and sorry, that stands contrary to I forget who was it Quigley and Fermanagh earlier on who was in oh, was GA Social, GA social yeah. earlier this year saying that that's basically they're saying the exact opposite of that saying basically like there's just kind of a lot of automatons and like athletes fit, yeah. yeah exactly so so look. Like, I feel I feel in defence and around midfield there's just a bunch of really fit players who carry the ball and pass it with their like fist pass it and don't do a you know the, the, there's a little less flamboyance there because that's part of a system but I think in general the skill level is definitely higher yeah, I don't know about that though, because you look at someone like Thomas Sullivan in in Kerry. There's no time in history of the game where he would have been a cornerback other than now, where you know because he's such a good player. Um, but like at cornerback, he can do a bit of everything. He's one of the best man markers in the game, but he's also brilliant at bursting forward, and then he can kick a lovely point as well from forty yards. Yeah. You know, so there is just that those players in some ways are a lot more valuable than they used to be. He'd have been a centre forward in the old days or something. Half back like, lines know. are definitely different stratosphere now to what they were yeah goal scoring hard running machines why is the as a last thought then whatever the individualism point so we're struggling to agree on that if we're saying the players are better more skillful and fitter is the spectacle worse than it's been in a long time I think we're in an evolutionary phase personally I think that we're at a point now where the blanket defence you know being a negative thing is kind of gone and it's just like we're looking for ways through it and I think we're just at a point where the press is going to come soon and this sort of like flutering around for six minutes like last week or various times to a lot less kind of extreme degree we saw this weekend where it was just that's the setup. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a hold on and hands up and here we go, we're we're on the setup and it's flutering around the place like with yeah. slow passes and jogging. Jog and there's nothing ten, happening. The jogging ten metres in possession of a ball as you're jogging near, towards someone that you're going to face pass it to. Yeah. I just... But I just feel it will evolve. I feel like teams will just let, be less accepting of it, especially when they're losing, and will go and get the ball and it will create a more open game because you'll have to get out of trouble and if you do, there'll be space to go and score down the other end, you know? So I just think we have to wait <laughs> in some ways, you know? 
It's just theme of the season. Just wait. It's going to get <laughs> great. It's going to get so good. Waiting for God of Football Championship. Uh, can I blitz through a few very quick emails? Hi, all. I look forward to a slight tangent every week. The best segment of radio there is, says Nick. What's been bugging me for a while is the overuse of certain flavour of the month phrases from pundits, commentators, journalists and coaches. A few years ago, I found myself coaching a local soccer team and I kept catching myself using the term pockets of space when players weren't getting the ball. I mostly use this when trying to fill time until I found something better to say. Nowadays, you can't listen to a segment without the middle third in GA and plays on the half turn in soccer dropped in. The middle third is the one that annoys me the most. Uh, he mentions a previous hurling coach who said at every training session uh, it screamed to me as someone who didn't want to actually think of a plan for himself what are some <laughs> of your overused phrases it's an angry man yes uh, that are uh, used over, that are overutilised by coaches says Nick philosophy the one that jumped out to me philosophy for sure the one that jumped out to me by a mile across soccer and GA now is transition yeah like you can't go to the toilet without the transition being part of it somehow. There's a transition just in everything. It's overused for sure. Yeah. I don't have anything, I have yeah. to say. Corridor of uncertainty seemed to be really in vogue for a little while. I don't know if coaches are talking too much about the corridor <laughs> no, of uncertainty. Matt Williams loves the corridor. It's more of a thing. Yeah. the cliche, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're phrases I associate with. Yeah. Break what about thing. like what about things like controlling the controllables oh, and things yeah. like that? Stop. Yeah. <laughs> What's the other one? What's the big rugby one? IP is that it to talk about that is it I forget what it I is mean, oh. rugby is the chief offending sport <laughs> rugby is uh, work ons wow. work ons learnings, learnings are good something? something seems to be creeping in at the moment Joe is people talking about players USP their unique selling point as yeah. if they're a business or something yeah Ugh. <laughs> I know it would leave you cold <laughs> <laughs> what you need to say to lads is just go out there lads and get stuck in just enjoy it enjoy yourself be an individual <laughs> out there <laughs> kick the points from understand Adam in Dublin I'm going to get to one text on Harry Kane in just a moment Adam in Dublin briefly says long time third time Oof. From left two of his other emails in the scrap heap in the scrap heap or we just don't remember them uh, love the chat with Dan McDonald on Wednesday's football show but my interest peaked massively when you spoke about illegal streaming I'm a sports obsessed man in his early 30s and I don't know and I genuinely mean this he says in brackets any single one of my friends and then in brackets again or even colleagues or acquaintances below the age of 40 who has a legitimate and traditional sports or TV package bundle i.e. Sky, Virgin, BT etc. And he uh, talks about when you have Netflix and Spotify and Disney you can get in and out of the bundle with a very small commitment. The thought of a minimum 12-month contract for sport is so alien to myself and all around me. And so he wonders if we're heading towards a kind of uh, a breakaway system where matches are subscribed to per month across devices. Mm-hmm. Thoughts, Adam Dublin. Well, to be fair, like the Now TV thing is very much heading down that route where if you want, you can just pay for it for a day. You yeah. can get Sky or BT for a day. They can do the weekend Sky thing as well. Yeah. Or like when a major's on, they'll do, you know, Now TV for the yeah. week so you get the major. So I, like, I think, I presume, um, like before AI ruins the world, and I, that's all I wanted to talk to you guys yeah, next week Joe honest to God <laughs> if they let us there's a podcast I heard I don't I like it should come with a health warning it's that terrifying um, but before all that happens I presume we'll just get to a point very quickly where there will just be something that houses everything and you pay per event Seems like, the business the of Sky BT X well, it's just yeah in fairness like the 
like you don't have to pay a 12 month contract for sport no, like I mean that, that that's important but what you do probably have to have in what he's saying is a 12 month contract with Sky or with Virgin in the first place to have the TV uh, package so th- yeah. that that's probably what he means and it does feel like we're probably heading toward we're definitely the latter end of that you know what's um, what's an acceptable price for one match be it Premier League or GA what's GA go is it 12 per game I think it depends on the game doesn't game, it? we're talking think, around yeah. 12 yeah, yeah. okay 80 for the year you could probably I think you can get like a now TV Sky Sports thing for like a tenner for the day yeah, yeah it used to be anyway yeah Yeah. used to be only a 15 what's, for a week what's fair for a one match god I find it very reductive to be buying something for one match yeah, yeah. but I don't know a tenner seems fair I think a tenner on a one off is just one thing you want if you're, to if you're really owning it doing it the odd time though yeah like otherwise yeah. Like, I mean you're very quickly spending a lot of money <laughs> yeah, if you're just getting it for one match yeah. you're watching four games a weekend <laughs> but you get it for the day I guess yeah. Buy it for a I think day. the subscription model is a bit away though Joe considering the TV rights are so crucial to so many sports and almost prop up the economy of some yeah. uh, leagues and systems right now I think as a result they're not going to go to a subscription model until it's worth more than what those rights would be and if you're selling them for billions of pounds per year it's probably a long way away but I think the fighting of the streamers as we talked about last week is it seems like peeing into the wind there's it? no reason though that in the next five years Sky Sports can't exist as, t- as a thing you get on its own rather than with a TV package yeah. in much the way like they obviously subcontract and now at the moment you know so mm. Hi lads, long time first time. Harry Kane is a disgrace if he doesn't go to Real Madrid and stays in his comfortable world winning nothing and trying to break individual records. Discuss. This is our final topic of the evening. Does going to Manchester United um, count as staying in his comfortable world and trying to win nothing? Because his choices, no. as in so much as I can see it, are United, Spurs and then... I, is the Real Madrid thing... Real, I guess Ben's. Yeah, number nine, right? Yeah, now, okay. yeah, apparently number one target of the summer. Yeah. I mean, according to the in-nose, he would do great in-nose. there. Yeah. yeah. So what? Ancelotti has spoken about wanting to sign him as well. So okay. What's what, what? If Harry Kane stays at Spurs, is that a disgrace? Coward. Coward. <laughs> What's he afraid of? Success. <laughs> Success. Come on. What's he afraid of? These he's days? afraid of something. He's afraid of being outside of his comfort zone. Staying at a small club like Tottenham for his entire career. <laughs> to play for Ange Postacoglu. Taking penalties at World Cups for England is outside his comfort zone and he's done They it. missed them. Oh, I know, but he's not afraid of it. Like, he did it. <laughs> I don't think he's in a comfort zone of, like, maybe... In, he tried to leave. Like, yeah. Yeah. his brother and him signed a six-year deal with, like, no buyout clause. If he's guilty <laughs> of anything... Worst decisions in sport history. Ah, no, I'm joking about the, the cowardice, obviously. But uh, I think it's th- I think you have to challenge yourself at this stage of your career. I think and you've got to that point now where you've one big move. Yeah, yeah. And it's not to say that players should never stay. I just think Harry Kane's an exceptional player. He is like one of the best Premier League English players of all time, mm. and he has a chance to go to Real Madrid and really make it. Like I mean, so he could do in five years at Real Madrid, leading the it, line. Is it a better career if, say, he goes to Real Madrid and let's give him? He's there for five years. Let's give him three La Liga and no Champions League. Just let's say there's a bit of a dip there. Or let's say he goes to Manchester United and overtakes Alan Shearer as the greatest goal scorer in the history of the Premier League. But at United, he wins an FA Cup. Because let's be honest, it's hard to see them winning a league title anytime soon in the next five years. Would you rather be Harry Kane, FA Cup, but above Alan Shearer? Or would you rather be Harry Kane, not the all-time Premier League top goal scorer and one of a gazillion people who's won like a cheap La Liga yeah do those records matter though like, like I mean, is, he go, is he going to pass out Alan Shearer's actual record which is goals ah, in yeah, the league including his two le- division one 
seasons, you know. If, if he stays, he beats Shearer. Yeah. Okay. Fine. And it's a so great achievement. Better, him, scoring, him scoring thirty goals this season in a crap team is an amazing achievement. Like I mean, he's. Yeah. But what's better? What's a, what's a better I think, career? I think being a, a successful uh, number nine, like lead, like uh, the main guy at Real Madrid, is the best you could do. There was a time when Manchester United absolutely equaled that, but it's not now. I don't know, you know. I think I I'd think take three league titles over the record, but the record might mean more to Harry Kane than it would for us. I think that's what I mean. I think I think the individual deal. thing's a cop out, though. I do. I think you need to be a, like you should be in football to, you know, win. Remedy, yeah, also how many goals you score doesn't matter in the end of the day. Like if the other team scores more. record every second week. Can't turn on match of the day. I can't think of it. enough quiz record quiz questions. Madrid will give him the platform. Even I know you've had a hypothetical there where he wins no Champions League. Yeah, no, I did. I did. Uh, it's more of a chance of winning the championship. Madrid, no, give him a platform to be competing consistently for the championship. I'll give you that. I'm just, I, I almost did that to say, like, there's no, there are no guarantees. So you say, oh, he'll, he'll reign at Real Madrid. It may not happen. But do you not think, like, history looks back and goes, who was the top scorer? Oh, Harry Kane. He played with Spurs. They were contenders for the top four versus that's Harry Kane. He was, Real, he was a Real Madrid player. How many Ligas has Gareth Bale won? <laughs> Carpel was won a load of the leagues, but was was oh, he, he ever didn't. like the main man? I don't think he won that many. I think he probably only won there, one. Like, you know? I think he's as many champions weird as he have league titles. He probably no. I'd say he won only about one league. I'd say he won one league, and they won about three Champions Leagues. Three or four. He won, was he there for the fifth? But they only won. They won very few leagues. I think they won one under Mourinho. Is he four and five, Joe? But he was he bombed bombed out. No, I don't. Stale taste no, I, I think he would have been happened. around. So he, re- he left last year, so he wouldn't have got La Liga. Yeah. They didn't win it this season. But I'm just making the point. Like, Do you know, you know what I mean? Three or four leagues, they won five championships. Being bombed out over, like, you know, it's more important than like what he won there and stuff like that. Like, if that doesn't happen to Kane and he has the chance to go and be in Madrid. What if he'd gone to City? Yeah. Like, why not? Like, you know. Oh, City was a no-brainer. Stage. City was a no-brainer because you win the Premier League and you get the record. I think the record, Shearer's record, that's a really big thing to give up. I just think there's something, I, I think there's a flaw in some of the English players. I think you look at John Terry, <laughs> Lampard, they're all about individual records and like who's lifting cups and like that's, sh- you know, that, that I just think that, I think that's a flaw and I think Kane is like, the, the fact that he's openly talking about an individual record being more important than what he wins in his career. Uh, he's not saying he's that. He's not saying Ah, that. it's openly true back <laughs> You channels. can't compare him to John Terry. John Terry, <laughs> John Terry in his full kit lifting the trophy. That's not what Kane, that's different. <laughs> and Frank Lampard winning a load of trophies because construed as individual. Frank Lampard. Uh, he, was, he was asking JT could he hold one of the, one of the arms every how many, time. How many leagues did Frank Lampard win? Five, oh, I think. Must be a few, yeah. yeah. See, no one knows. But you'd, Maybe know six. you'd know if he'd scored 261 Premier League goals. would know that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that, that would define his career more than a few league titles. Ah, it is and the thing that crops up for... Hundreds m- of for people have won league titles. Year, isn't it? Every time. Yeah. Beyond even the league win. Hundreds of people have won league titles. Yeah. Only one person gets to beat Alan Shearer's record. Yeah, it is alluring now that you say it. <laughs> but it's a team game. <laughs> it's a team game. Grow up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're out of time. That was a slight tangent. Will, thank you very much. Cheers. Michael, thank you. Ah, whatever. And Arthur Eddie, pleasure. Cheers, Joe.